Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey Dave, yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everyone. Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night. I've got Daniela Melchior from the Suicide Squad with me this time. And I kind of feel like a jerk saying this because a lot of this ensemble is truly phenomenal, but you run away with this movie. You are so good. Thank you. Thank you so much. I don't I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Thank you. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. So, we kick this off with our very first game. I got a dice tower behind me, and we've got a lot of time together, but it's still never enough time. So I come up with eight questions, and just to start, I roll the die three times, and whatever number we land on, that's what question I'm giving you right now. So you got your first roll here. All right, we got a one. Yes. All right, so I'm calling this one, if not rats. If you, like real you in real life, could control and communicate with the animal of your choice, what animal would you pick and why? It would be dogs because I have a dog and I wish she could understand me and I wish I could understand her too. <laughs> what is your dog's name? Heidi. <laughs> oh, I think I saw a picture of Heidi. Is Heidi a dachshund? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> She's so sweet. I love dachshunds. I have, I have two back home on the East Coast with my family and they are one of the best dog breeds out there. Yeah, I think the same. I love them. All right, we're going for another roll here. All right, we got an eight. An eight is called downtime. And I feel like I know the answer to this one based on your, your Instagram post recently. Oh. But what is your absolute favorite way to pass the time in between uh, scenes when you're on set? Of course, taking naps. <laughs> I am very impressed by your ability to nap. What? <laughs> What is, what's like the weirdest place you've ever managed to nap? Let me think. I think my chair, uh, like in the waiting tent, uh, but like in the weirdest uh, positions ever. I could legit only like sleep in a bed in the dark, in silence. So yeah. someone with the ability to nap anywhere and everywhere, I am so envious of you. 
God, even on, in the plane, like if I'm uh, in the like most basic seats ever, I put my table down, I, I, I take my, how can I say the pillow, like the neck pillow, I put my, my head there as I was like having a massage and I just sleep like this for many hours in a flight. It's crazy. <laughs> I need your secrets. I need all the secrets because I'm someone who stays up the entire time on a red eye and then I pay for it after the fact. <laughs> all right. We got one more roll here. All right. We got a two. Two is advice. Who gave you the best advice for jumping into your very first big Hollywood movie? Uh, James Gunn, definitely. Yeah. What did, what did he tell you to do that made all the difference? Um, he, make, he made me uh, promise him to stay a good person like forever uh, because he told me like, this was the, code, the, the quote, please stay a good person because the world needs it. I get emotional when I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> It makes me like you and him even more than I already did. I love that. <laughs> it's time to get into the meat of the interview now. We got to begin here by getting to know you a little bit better and no better place to start than with step one. So what is the, the performance, the personal experience, the movie, you name it, that first made you say, I have to be an actor? Ooh, I don't know. Because I was really, really young. Uh, when when I started like having uh, drama classes, and I believe that it wasn't like a particular performance. I feel like when I was on stage in those like uh, small uh, place in my school, uh, I noticed that I would have like lots of attention when I was uh, performing. So I was like, okay, this is like the way that I can be like heard and have a voice. And then I started studying and exploring more the craft and I fell in love. As you were exploring the craft more through your studies, is there any particular, you know, technique or feeling that really clicked and brought you to that next level of satisfaction when it comes to performing for people? I believe when I was doing a TV show in, in Portugal, uh, I had like in those TV shows, we have like really strong uh, scenes because it's uh, it's called like telenovela, like the, the Mexican ones. And like, it's a lot of emotions and like, we feel like 100% everything. And I had one scene that I was having like a panic attack or something. And I started crying and like, I heard the cut and I couldn't stop. And I was so like overwhelmed with that. And I was like, God, like for the first time, I really believe like it took me to another level, like emotionally, I got to do this for the rest of my life. Like for real, I'm not like giving up ever. <laughs> what specific thing would you credit to connecting the dots from your work in the film and television industry in Portugal to getting your very first Hollywood auditions? Because I, I always hear that it's it's a challenge to make that leap and make sure that your name is known in another sector of the world in this industry. So what was the key to making that happen for you? Uh, I don't I don't know. I'm not sure. I know that uh, like what took me to the United States was my first movie. I've, I've been doing like TV shows since I was 17, but 
I had like a, my first um, role in a movie was like with a leading role is uh, was in Park Mayer. And that movie was the one that my manager saw the trailer, even if it was like in Portuguese and with no subtitles. And he told me like, I have to uh, like sign with you because I didn't understand anything, but I just wanted to see more. Uh, so I would say like that movie really represents me as an actor and I'm really proud of it. And it, it was like the project that took me to the United States for real. I, I need to seek that out. I tried to I tried to find the episodes of your of your television shows and they're not easy to access here. Yeah, and it's like I feel like it was a good school, but it doesn't represent me as an actor for real. So, you don't you didn't lose anything. <laughs> I'll trust you on that. All right, getting into the Suicide Squad now. I guess what? How, how did that audition even come to be? Was it a standard? You know, you get a call or an email saying you have the opportunity to audition for this, and do you know exactly what you're auditioning for when that happens? Uh, I can't remember if I knew that I was self-taping for the Suicide Squad. Uh, I I'm not sure if it was like for a secret project or something, um, but. At that moment, I received like a, the email with the self-tape and I was on vacation in Thailand. And if I didn't tape, it would be like the third self-tape that I received from my manager and I wouldn't tape. So I was like, okay, so I don't get fired because I didn't know <laughs> how the industry works. <laughs> I was like, so I don't get fired. Like as soon as I land in Portugal, um, I have to tape for it. And it was the worst tape that i ever did uh i was actually reading the, like that emotional scene like the the biggest scene that i'm talking about my my backstory red catcher uh i taped that scene too and i was reading the old time i had like the paper like the frame was this and i had the paper right here and and they loved it i don't know why they saw something there uh, they called, uh, my manager called me to, to fly to Atlanta and to, to do like the screen tests and the chemistry tests with the rats. And I was like, really? They like that? <laughs> like that crap that I did? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, it looks like. So I flew to Atlanta. I had a meeting with Peter Safran and James Gunn. They asked me some questions about me. They told me about the character and what they wanted like for the next day about Redcatcher. And in the end, they asked me like, Danielle, I really want to ask you, what are you reading in your tape? And I was like, um, I love Marlon Brando. And I know that he would read sometimes too. So I was feeling really inspired by him. Um, and, and then I told him, but don't worry. Now I know my lines and I know what I'm doing. So like tomorrow will be fine. And yeah, it was fine. <laughs> I have so many follow-ups. First, backing up, you had mentioned that you said no to taping for certain things. And that's something I always find fascinating, especially when you're first starting out, because <laughs> you want to get all of the experience that you possibly can. But at the same time, you want to make sure you're presenting yourself to people in the industry through roles that really speak to you. So 
I don't want you to have to name specific things, but what were some of the qualities in those other roles that you decided not to read for that just that didn't speak to you? Actually, it was because I was on vacation and for me, it was really hard. <laughs> I like that reason. It was really hard to tape like, in, in hotels. And, but, but it's like the true reason was I was so afraid of like acting in English and like uh, learning the lines and everything that like everything was a reason for me not to tape because yeah, I was really like, I was really afraid to not good, uh, to do, to not do a good job and like to send tapes that wouldn't represent me. And like, I would be feeling ashamed for, so yeah, I would just say, sorry, I don't have blank walls here in the hotel that I am, <laughs> that I'm right now. And yeah, but I can't even remember what was like the, the projects that I said, I'm not sending. So. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of like, I'm on vacation. I can't because I have no boundaries in work. So I would respect that quite a bit. Yeah. Another follow-up here. You mentioned that that one of your first chemistry reads was with the rats. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Because I imagine at that point, you don't have an established relationship with the real rats you're working with or their trainer. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they basically wanted to see my reaction uh, to it. So before I flew to Atlanta, they sent me an email saying, uh, we can't wait to have you here at the studios and to meet you. Uh, by the way, we're having rats on set, so get ready for it. So they wanted, I think they wanted to see my reaction. And I was like, can't wait. And my first thought was, okay, I'm thinking about this now. And this will be the first and the last time that I'm thinking about the rats. So I'll go there with my mind open and like I live the moment. And that's what happened. I'm going to go deep on the rats. I'm a big animal lover and I'm fascinated <laughs> by a lot of that. But first, how did you celebrate when you first found out you got the role? Uh, I was in this hotel room in Beverly Hills because I didn't know my manager in person at that moment. So I auditioned in, in Atlanta and then I flew to LA to meet my manager and to like to spend some days there because I never went to like United States, uh, at that moment, it was my first time. So I was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go to, <laughs> to Hollywood for the first time. Um, so I was by myself, um, in the United States, basically. Uh, so I hang up, I started crying. Uh, I called my family and friends and, and my, like my loved ones. And I promised, uh, my loved ones like to not, uh, like, how can I say to doubt, um, my, like about myself or to feel like, like I don't have value as an actor. I feel like that's that's one heck of a way also to get to to meet your manager for the first time. It's just like it couldn't kick that in-person relationship off any better. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> when you visited uh LA for the first time, did you do any, you know, fun touristy things? Uh I went to uh, like the Walk of Fame and I bought many many uh, like uh souvenirs. Uh, because I, I really wanted, at that time, I didn't know that I booked the role. Uh, James Gunn only called me like a few days later. So I was like, 
even if nothing happens, I gotta have like proofs that I was in the United States and like <laughs> to tell my family to show them like I was there. Um, Meanwhile, you get the proof to show your family, but now you're on like billboards in the biggest cities in the country. So you left your mark on this place too. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And my manager asked me like, um, so what are you going to do while we like you are here uh, in the United States, in like Hollywood? Uh, do you want me like to get you the, in those tours like that you can see like the mansions and like the the famous people houses? And I was like, nah, they will be my colleagues someday. So I don't want to spy on them. <laughs> yes, I like that attitude. All right. So digging into the character now. This movie is is so full without any of this, but I find that what happens to me is when I wind up loving a character, I want to know every single detail imaginable about them. So how much backstory do you need to come up with or do you need to come up with with James in order to get you in the right headspace for the beginning of Cleo's journey? Like I caught myself thinking about things like, you know, what motivated her to commit that heist? Was there any hesitation when she was approached by Amanda Waller to join the Suicide Squad? All those things. Um, for for the backstory, uh, like the conversations that I had with James were more to find her energy and like her tone. Um, but then for me, I really love to like imagine those stuff, imagining like uh, what kind of things Redcatcher would love, what kind of movies, what kind of music. Uh, but of course I have a, a backstory that uh, would not be official because maybe James Gunn will want to <laughs> to make a different one and like in a spin-off or something, I don't know. Um, but like my, for me, Redcatcher went there without really like feeling that she wanted to be there. She was caught and she she was like um, in prison because something wrong happened when she was trying to rob a bank with, with Sebastian and all of her rats. But it would be something like she really wanted and needed to survive. Um, so yeah, I don't feel like she's a, a true super villain. Uh, she was in this particular mission and it was her first mission. Uh, and I'm really curious about uh, what's, what's happened, what happened next. If something happens next, <laughs> she will get into the point like she will uh, kill somebody and why, or if she turns into a superhero because she could be, right? I, I feel that. <laughs> I have so many questions. I can't wait to get to the spoiler section of this, but first... Working with James, so you are super talented all on your own, but what is something that James did for you as an actor's director that helped you tap into a quality or a level of Cleo's that you might not have found without him? I would say that uh, he told me that she would love like lots of artsy things and she is like, like really, really random. She She could like wake up, loving yodeling music and in the next day she would love like a really i don't know uh heavy punk rock music so i was like okay she's really she's really eclectic she's really 
how can I say, cultured, even if she doesn't uh, show that. And she uh, and James also told me that she would love like the new wave of French cinema. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So I see that I'm speaking in English. She's from Portugal, but she's really European. And like that helped me a lot to find uh, the way to play Ratcatcher 2. All righty, let's dig into the rats now. First, the, the, the big broad question, just how, how much of what we see on screen in the final film is a real rat versus a digital rat? So all the tsunami of rats that we see in the movie, it's CGI. Uh, the rat, but like every time I could, I had one rat with me. So sometimes I have the real rat like in my hands or in my shoulder, but every time the rat would like wave and do like some particular stuff. Uh, it would be CGI. Okay. Okay. So this question is coming from me as an animal lover now. So I was watching some of the behind the scenes footage of you and you, you look so comfortable holding the rats. And as someone who has always wanted to have like a rodent pet, whether it's a rat or a hamster or anything, I find myself tensing up when I'm holding an animal like that in my hand because like, I'm afraid of, of them biting me. That doesn't seem to ever be an issue for you. Is is that something that comes from them being highly trained or are you just naturally at ease in situations like that? Um, I think like they were trained. They were trained like to behave and to stay on my shoulder if they had to, to like stay quiet in my hands. But I really felt that they're really smart and they never felt that they were in danger with me. So that's why they were never in like an, in a defensive uh, posture or something. So I never felt that the rat could bite me because yeah, I was really respect respectful also with them because many people, when they have an animal in their hands, they want to touch like all, all of the body. And I had like many cats when I was younger, so I never touched like their belly. Uh, so with the rats was the same. I can have them for many hours with me, but like if they don't like something, I'm not the one like that will teach them to like something in particular. Okay, lesson learned. So I, I need to rethink my approach in this situation <laughs> and just let them be and not try to pet, pet, pet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of her relationship with the different rats. So obviously she has a very special dynamic with Sebastian in particular, but I was wondering, is that specific to that rat in particular or can she have that kind of connection with, with any of them? I feel that Sebastian is her best friend and could probably be like the the one that she cares the most that's why he's the only one having like a, a clothing with his initial um but she's fine with the rest and she she can control them but it's like if she goes to portugal she controls them but she's not like their best friend if she goes to corto maltese it will be the same uh, and Sebastian will be the only rat that goes with her like everywhere. Okay. All right. Now we're going to get into spoilers here because this next rat question pertains to uh, something that happens later on in the movie. So this is everyone's one and only spoiler warning. We're digging into the spoilers on the Suicide Squad right now. Did you ever discuss with James or just maybe think about on your own 
what the connection to the rats feels like in general versus when she's doing something so big, like controlling such a massive amount of them in the finale. Um, I would say that Ratcatcher 2 doesn't have a clue about how powerful she is. And it was something that came from her core. Like she wasn't expecting to be the one, uh, like to, uh, of course, Harley saves the day too, but she didn't have a clue that she would be uh, surviving. She would be like the one with this like tsunami of rats that could save the day or help Harley uh, to save the day. So it's it was something that, I never thought about it in, in like in, with that point of view, neither like Ratcatcher 2. What about physically as she's doing something like that? Like what what is the, I don't know, like the real world comparison for how taxing that is on her? Is it like the exhaustion of running a marathon or something like that? I would say that it's more emotional and mental than physical because as we see in the movie, she doesn't run. She doesn't like, she doesn't even try. <laughs> it's crazy. She runs, she only runs for her life if she feels like Starro is coming right after her. Because in other ways, she wouldn't uh, do like, if, she wouldn't even try. So when she starts to think about her father and to think about like, her purpose or finding her purpose, uh, I really feel like she's tr really trying and she's suffering, but more with her heart and like soul and mind than like in a physical way. I feel like this is a big question that might not have a specific answer, but bringing up Starro makes me think of this. So she forgives and also befriends Nanawe after he nearly eats her. And she's also sympathetic to Starro, but in that case, she does what she has to do to save the city. So did you ever find a specific limit to that empathy? Like, does she draw the line in a, in a certain place on that? I really feel like once she sees the danger that uh, Starro can have like to the old world and humanity, she starts to think like, we have to do something. We really have to do something. So she doesn't want to take naps. She doesn't want to give up. She's a little bit frustrated when she sees that Bloodsport is giving up. But when he decides, like, let's do this, she's the first saying, like, okay, let's go. I, I was waiting for you to have to make that decision. But then I feel like she's really loses her empathy with Starro when she's uh with blood sport next to her and this lady says like this city is mine and in that particular moment Ratcatcher 2 uh really feels like this city is not yours and this city is not ours this city is my rat <laughs> city so yeah for me like that was the turning point getting into the ending now what do you think is going through her head at the end of the movie after she's been through all of this with this team of people? What, what do you think her idea of like freedom is or return to normal now compared to what it might have been before this experience? I would say that 
she's making friends for the first time, even even like after her um, her father dies, and she's alone with Sebastian and the rest of the rats. She's always in like a, a defensive. Um, uh, how can I say approach to her life? She she's always like alone, uh, fighting for her survival, and like she doesn't see friends uh, anywhere. She always she's always afraid that somebody will do something like to um, to like to hurt her. So she's always like in with this small circle that it's just her and her rats and Sebastian. And in the end of this adventure, I really feel like for the first time after losing her parents, uh, she has a family. So I'm really curious if like what's going to happen next. Maybe they will turn her into a supervillain. I don't know. One way or the other, I want more. I need to spend <laughs> more time with this character. All right, so as we wind this down here, we play another game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the choice here. We can either go with cast superlatives, or if you're feeling super creative, we could make our own sitcom with characters from the Suicide Squad. Uh, make my own sitcom, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, Cleo and Inawe in a Suicide Squad sequel that we're making up right now. They're going to star in their own sitcom as roommates. They're going to move in together and be roommates. What city do they live in? Maybe maybe London, because it's really like streetwear style. Um, Ratcatcher 2 will be like, feel, she will feel like she's... She belongs there because of the grungy style, really dark. And Nanawe, for the first time, will get to be... For the first time, no. For the second time, he will be able to, to have these guys again and to like dress up as he likes. I want to see this already. What jobs do they have to pay for their obviously too expensive apartment? Uh, hmm... I would say that Nanawe could collect trash, you know, in the trash, uh, like buzz kind of buzzes, because if he smells blood or if he smells uh, like meat, he he could hit it. Um, and Red Catcher, I would say, pizza delivery. Because why not? She could get the rats to deliver the pizza to everywhere. I don't know why. I feel like most people out there would not accept pizza from a rat, but I most certainly would. So I will be your first customer. But it would be like Amazon. Once you open the door, you see nobody, but your package is there. Even better, but I'll still put in a request. I want to see, I want to see Sebastian deliver me a pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when you first start living with someone, you find out that they have very annoying habits. What is the one thing about living with Nanawe that drives Cleo nuts and vice versa? Nanawe taking rests of food to like leftovers to the room. Ratcatcher 2 would hate it. And I think Nanawe would be pissed off like every time he wanted to go outside, but Ratcatcher would only want to be like at like her room and taking naps and sleeping during the day, during the night, like every time. 
All right, here, here's a, a good one that leans into that a little. They're having a movie night. If they can actually agree on one movie to watch, what would that movie be? Uh, Ratatouille, I guess, because Nanawe seems like a little bit romantic also. Romantic in the, like, in the kind way. And Ratcatcher would love it too because rats, <laughs> right? I'm really feeling that answer. I believe in that answer quite a bit. Me too. Now for the big one. No one wants to do the bottom of the barrel chores in the apartment. So of the two of them, who is taking out the trash and doing the dishes? I would feel that it would have to be Ratcatcher too, because she would be the one most like to be most stressed about it. And yeah, she would be the one doing it. All right. We're, we're ending it with a party question here. They're throwing an apartment party and each one of them can invite one other member of the Suicide Squad. Who are they picking and why? Nanawe would choose Harley because she's fun. Uh, and she didn't shot him like Bloodsport. Um, and Ratcatcher 2 would say Bloodsport. Sorry, Nanawe, <laughs> because she really feels like he is one of the biggest friends that she has. I like that. I would believe in that. Our last two, our last two questions of Ladies' Night are always the same. The first one is, can you name someone who you think is changing the film industry for the better? Of course. I could say many names, but the first that I think right now, because I love her work and is really changing the industry for me, is Ava DuVernay. Very, very good choice. She's always one of my go-to personal answers for that question. Really? The last one here. This is a big one. You could take it in a lighter direction if you prefer. What is the biggest fear that you've ever had that you've actually managed to overcome? Uh, because when I was a little bit younger, I'm still young, but I, I was a little bit younger. And um, how can I say this? In Portugal, as an actor, like our lives are, aren't really, really easy. Uh, and my biggest fear was like, as, as soon as I, uh, I ended a project, it was every time was in the same TV channel, but I didn't have a contract, um, like many other actresses with my age. Like I was never like the, how can I say the bet for the channel. So every time I ended up, uh, a project, I was afraid to not have work uh, like for many times. So that was my biggest fear. But before booking the Suicide Squad, I decided like, I'm not accepting any more jobs for this channel. So I will take a two month vacation and then I will think about my life. And that, that was when like uh, the tape for the Suicide Squad came up and I really feel like that was a gift from the universe. So that was my biggest fear. And I'm glad that I just cut it that line <laughs> for me. You overcame it and you're excelling now. I know I've said it many a times in this interview, but Daniela, congratulations. Seriously, you. you are something else in this movie and I hope you are so proud of your work in it. Thank you, Thank you so much for hanging out with us on Collider Ladies Night. I feel like everybody out there already knows this, but if you don't know when The Suicide Squad is coming out, the date is August 6th and you can catch it in theaters or on 
HBO Max. And this is probably clear at this point, but I can't recommend it enough. Again, Daniela, congratulations. And I can't wait to catch up with you for another movie soon. Yes, fingers crossed. Thank you, Perry. So nice to meet you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.